All right, we are here with a very special guest. Uh, so special. I'm so, so special. Yeah, we have <laughs> lots of fun stories to tell. But um, before we do, Brahanu Bug, would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm Brahanu Bug. I go to St. Anne's. So I'll be a junior next year. I've always had a passion for computer science, and it kind of grew so much when I came to STAB in sixth grade. And I met Ms. Wilkins, and I met Mr. Minster, and so I'm still doing it to this day and plan to continue on doing CS in the future. Yeah, and I think still doing it is a little bit of an understatement, but we'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) We have learned that this guest is very modest, and perhaps we need to, uh, you know, give a little bit of a boost to the things that he says. So you will notice that as we go. So before we dive into the past, we've been asking students who come on um, the podcast a little bit about the distance learning experience because it's just something, you know, that's never happened before and we kind of want to document it. So what, what have been the best and the worst parts of that for you? I think St. Anne's handled it the best that it could. Of course, it's not going to be the same as in-person learning at all. And we kind of miss the kind of social interactions that we would probably overlook if we were in school. Yeah. Kind of don't notice things that are gone until they're gone. And so we did do a good job of trying to stay as a community with the classes at specific times and kind of breakout rooms and homework. But overall, I think St. Anne's handled it really well. It just, it's not my preference for sure. Yeah. Was there anything specific that you really missed? Just seeing everyone in person and kind of just taking a little bit more breaks, but with friends and just talking about different things. It's not the same taking a break by yourself, is it? No, and it's, I mean, I'm just at home and I don't have anywhere to go. So I don't really find motivation to do anything. At St. Anne's, like we have to dress up and be in uniform, but in distance learning, I just roll out of bed and just sit in front of the computer. <laughs> So it kind of changes your mentality and how you approach things. Yeah, I, I like may or that may part. not. Yeah, I'm wearing sweatpants as we're recording. <laughs> I was really good at first. I got dressed every day. And then after a while, I was like, but nobody's going to see my bottom half. <laughs> yeah, I totally get it. It does. It changes your motivation if you, yeah. depending on where you are and who's around. And I'm a person who gets caught up very easily in like vibes. So if everybody else is excited, I get really excited too. So I just get excited with my cat. <laughs> He's very exciting though. <laughs> so Rahanu, the first time I met you was at tech camp. So it must've been before you started sixth grade um, yeah, as a summer. way to kind of get into the community. And I remember you just had all these grand schemes and projects and things you <laughs> wanted to do. And I'm like, dude, we've got a week <laughs> to do stuff. <laughs> but your passion has not let up. And I'm just wondering, what, when did it start? How did it start? Was it a, you know, a light bulb moment or did it start over a period of time? The earliest memory I can think of was my family had like a shared kind of family computer, an old MacBook. It was so old that it was the white thick ones. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so we had it in like the living room. And I remember I would, I would just play on it for an hour every day. And then at one point my parents said, you can't be playing around the computer doing nothing. We want you to be doing something, project, learn about something, etc. And so then I opened up this app called, I think it was iWeb. And it was an Apple app on the computer where you can make websites 
visually. And I kind of got interested in it. And I saw there's like this HTML thing and the CSS thing. And so then the kind of Gen Z in me went straight to Google and <laughs> just started looking up HTML, CSS. And so I started researching and I thought it was so cool. And so then I just started typing and seeing how everything came together and seeing how I could create things and looking things up. And I thought it was so impressive. And so then I kind of learned about JavaScript. I was like, oh, wait, I could do so much more with this than I already could just with HTML and CSS. And then I learned there were thousands of languages. And so it just kind of evolved from there as kind of a snowball effect. Well, I do remember, you know, these big ideas you had, I'm like, oh, they're really great. But, you know, we got to gotta fill it in with some learning and a little, you know, lowering, <laughs> not expectations, but, you know, the things you can get done in an amount of time. And a lot of time that turns kids off, you know, they just have these big oh. ideas and then they just can't stick through the tough parts. But you have, and I'm just wondering what, what helps you get through those gotcha moments? Whenever I have an idea, I see the final project in my head and I know I won't be able to rest until I've seen it through. In fact, like I will be just in my bed. If I don't finish a project, like let's say I start one today and I need to stop so I can go to sleep, I'll just be turning around in my sleep just thinking about it. I, it, it just haunts me. And so I have to see something through or else I'm never going to feel rested. Do you ever have a project that you get to a point where you realize that, you know, the end product that I was picturing, it's not where I'm going to end up. And do you see it through anyway to see where you end up? Or do you ever call it quits when you realize it's just not going to be what you wanted it to be? It depends. Some projects, it might be I need to pay money to host it, or I might need money to buy like a database or something. Those mm -hmm. types of ideas, I, I probably will scratch just because I, I can't fund it myself and I don't want my parents to have to fund it, especially now. But other projects... Um, that I can see through and launch or whatever, I see those through most of the time. I'm hearing just your initiative is so amazing. I mean, from your story of how you started, I had a computer and then I found one thing and Googled and my world grew. I mean, it was all you. There wasn't necessarily someone pushing you or handing things to you. And that so links, I think, to what you're talking about now. You started by being driven in a self-starter and now you have your projects and you go for them and nothing stops you. It sounds like you could be in an empty room and get as much accomplished as if you had a teacher standing over you, giving you directions, which is such <laughs> a unique skill set. That's amazing. Thank you. So I do know that a few years after I met you, you had taken to all the computer science stuff and you passed, surpassed my ability. And this <laughs> is my um, dirty little secret that I want to tell to all educators out there. I only know enough CS to get them excited. <laughs> and then if they want to teach and go beyond me, I am super happy with that. And so you would come in to the CS lab on open CS days and hold court with uh, other students teaching them JavaScript and processing, I think, and so Python. And I'm yeah. just wondering what, as you were learning about computer science and then learning how to teach computer science, what are some misconceptions out there about computer science? Yeah, I mean, you have kind of the general ones where it's computer science is only for males. It's only for smart people. You have to love math. And some of that, the, the math part is true. You need to know some math for CS. 
but really CS is all about diversity and you have to see multiple different viewpoints to get anywhere. And so if if you are looking at a problem one way and someone else looks at it a different way, you can't disregard that other person's viewpoint because they could be right or they could be helping you get the right answer. And so I feel like the diversity part of computer science is often the biggest part and why a lot of people don't want to join computer science because it's only for the smart people. It's only for the straight people. It's only for, you know, the males. And I, I think that's really messed up and that's halting our ability as a society to advance. What a great response of the diversity is what makes it work. And I, I see now larger tech companies are starting to grapple with their inclusion and they've maybe created cultures where people don't feel included. And so if the code that you're creating, whatever you're putting into your device or your website, it impacts the users on the other side. So the voice that isn't in the room, the voice you're not hearing could be the user that's not satisfied with your product or your service. And so it sounds like you have a mindset that will make you a very successful leader because you understand that the greater diversity of viewpoints you have in the room when you're doing the work, the more success you're going to see on the other side. Part about how I was raised too, like I went to probably public school up until sixth grade. And so of course I was thrown into diversity. And then I came to St. Anne's where I saw there wasn't as much diversity as I experienced. And so I kind of took the initiative to join the computer science department, which I don't think there was one at my old schools. And so it it was kind of a a random choice I made, like, oh, computer science, I don't know what that is. But I saw code and I was like, oh, okay, code. (laughs) (laughs) Another another misconception about computer science where it's only about code, but really it's about problem solving. That was probably one of the biggest lessons that Ms. Wilkins and Mr. Minster taught me. In fact, the first kind of camp I took with Minster, he made me explain to the group all of these programming languages I knew. And I was like, uh, this feels weird. <laughs> and all these kids were like, oh my God, you must be a genius. And I was like, what? And then we kind of went to the camp and I noticed that all of them could solve the problems that I couldn't solve. And I was like, what's wrong? I, 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 why can't I solve these problems? And then Minster said that what kind of really unlocked it for me, which is it's about problem solving, not being able to write the solution, but being able to figure out what's the root of the problem, how can we get from step A to step B, and then code is just a utility for us to make the process quicker. I remember I was delivering a professional development session on integrating instructional technology into the classroom and specifically into literacy at one of our CS institutes, and you were my assigned I don't know, assistant, the person, the facilitator to help make the session run more smoothly. And I like thought I had my session all ready to go. And then you blow in so fabulous and like immediately streamlined it and made it more efficient and like inputted the links in a different way. And you left and I was like, he's magical. (laughs) The presentation is so much better than it was before he came. (laughs) So I think another misconception about uh, CS is that that's all you're interested in, you know, that it's a singular focus, but I know you have so many other interests. Can you tell us about some of your other passions? Yeah, I think another passion of mine is theater, and I hold it up to the same regard, if not a little bit more to computer science. I was a shy kid at my other school. I I didn't really make a lot of friends. I mostly kept to myself, and then I came to St. Anne's, and 
this is kind of where I got my social life. But in sixth grade, when I came, I decided to do the school play of Peter Pan. And I got casted as the Black Panther thing or Tiger. I can't remember what mm-hmm. the exact role was. But, and I just loved the process. And then the next year, I got cast as a spelling bee in the Phantom Tollbooth. And I loved it. Oh my <laughs> so gosh, that was hilarious. It was <laughs> so good. <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> and so that's where I kind of fell in love with theater. And so theater and computer science really shows me two different ways of the world. I see kind of the human experience from theater. And then I kind of see the logical kind of aspect of life through computer science. And kind of the merging of the two, I think, is very interesting. And then I also have a passion for writing as well, kind of taking what I see in the world and creating stories for other people to read. Well, the combination is electric. Like when you're on stage, you steal the spotlight no matter what role you're playing. And you can tell watching you perform in theater that you just love it. And no matter what role you're playing, you're having so much fun and you're living for that moment. And it makes you so, so fabulous to watch. I think I've seen all of the shows that you've been in. I have distinct memories of the spelling bee from the Phantom (laughs) Tollbooth. And you are just fabulous on stage. Thank you. So we also want to mention the resource that you've just created called uh, Stand with Black Lives Matter, BLM. Can you tell us a little bit about it and how did you come about doing it? Yeah. I, a couple friends of mine texted me like, what should I do for the Black Lives Matter movement, especially just everything in the news and the world kind of going crazy. And so, and I've been on Instagram and social media and I've noticed people kind of reposting these stories and all that, which is nice for spreading awareness, but there's more you can do. There are equally kind of easy tasks that you can do to have a long-term impact on the movement. And so I decided to create this website stand with Black Lives Matter where I collected organizations you can donate to, petitions you can sign, books to read and TVs to watch, and just kind of a unified place for that, just so people can quickly access it, look at what they could do to support the movement, and just kind of do a little bit more than repost stories. You know, everyone learns in a different way. So if a TV show or a documentary is going to help you more than a book will, or if signing a petition really gets you going, or making a donation, putting everything in one place like this is so valuable because no matter how it is that you want to move forward, there's a resource in here for you. And it's easy to share. And it's also, may I add, beautiful to look at, um, <laughs> which, is, which is a nice bonus. The design is, of course, fabulous. <laughs> have people been interacting with it a lot? Have you heard from people who have used your resource or shared it? Yeah, I sent an email to the upper school faculty and just kind of all the upper school kids. And I've, I've gotten a lot of emails from people saying that they love the resource. I also, just because I was curious, I added Google Analytics to it so I could see. I also put it on Product Hunt. And so there's so many different, some people tweeted about it. There's a bunch of different streams are coming in. And so I'm really excited that people are seeing it and sharing about it. Do you see taking next steps with it? Yeah, I want to add more resources. Somebody recommended Black-owned businesses that we could support during this time, which I thought was a fabulous idea. So I want to add that. I want to add articles that you could read just talking about race and systemic racism and kind of the systems of oppression that we are facing. And yeah, just adding more resources would probably be what I 
really want to do. Resources like this are just so valuable, especially as, as a society, we maybe have a bit of a short attention span. And so as the media and news cycle starts to move on, people who really want to remain dedicated and active and keep doing the work to have one resource that they can come back to, even if it's not the top link on the New York Times is, I mean, that's something that you've created that's going to be really meaningful for a lot of people for a long time. Yeah, what I was going to say is that I have just been so blown away by young people really leading this movement. I went to one of the protests in Charlottesville, and it was three young black men that are at UVA now, but they were, I think, at Monticello High School, Mm -hmm. Um, and they had a thousand people out. So I think you're in a great tradition of young people really doing what adults should be doing, frankly. (laughs) And the young people are being so patient with adults. We went to a rally and they were explaining like, here's your next step if you want to get involved to the point where the person who was speaking was like, everyone take out your cell phones and waited. Go to this link and waited. (laughs) It was like, press this button. It will send an email. I'll wait. Show me a thumbs up when you're finished. (laughs) It just, thank goodness for your leadership and and for your patience. (laughs) One of the questions I had was, what advice would you give to your younger self, knowing what you know now? Is there a piece of advice you could think of? Oh, wow. There's a lot of advice. I <laughs> In terms of computer science, I would say that it's about problem solving, not coding. Another thing is you are not the smartest person in the room. There are, in fact, there isn't even the smartest person in the room. Everyone has kind of their fair share and they can give information that probably someone else know they they fabulous advice uh, perspective on the problem and they have their own kind of tool sets that no one else really has and so different perspectives which goes back to the idea of diversity in computer science is very important in terms of kind of theater I would say that theater is the expression of the human condition I would say that the experiences that we all go through can all be expressed through theater we're talking to your younger self is one thing. Where do you see yourself in 10, 20 years? I don't really know because I really want to be an actor and I really want to be a computer scientist. I still don't know how I'm going to combine the two because I really want to do both and I don't want to sacrifice one thing for the other. In terms of advice, I would just say meet new people and figure out what the world has to offer. You were giving words of advice to your younger self and they were so great. So I'm going to be selfish and I'm going to ask for words of advice or really advice for your teachers. Is there anything that you wish that your teachers knew as someone who knows themselves so well during school? I feel like your input is really valuable. I would just say that computer science should be taught in every subject. There is a way to combine computer science in every subject. And it might not seem like it's an easy task. I'm not saying it is easy, but problem solving is in every subject. And there are unique ways to approach problems and there are unique solutions for those problems. And so I think that the one hat fits all methodology that schools have kind of enforced onto its students just isn't gonna cut it anymore, especially since computer science is such on the rise. Okay, I, there's nothing more. Drop the should mic. We get, should we get that printed into a poster? It <laughs> yes. ain't gonna yes, cut please. it anymore. <laughs> yes, please. 
Or we can get him to make us a beautiful graphic. We'll, we'll pay Brahanu to make us something that we can print and post. That's wonderful. Well, Brahanu, thank you so much. Uh, we knew that this was going to be a great time to get to know you better and to share all your uniqueness and wonderfulness with the world. So thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming. And if you want to take a closer look at Brahanu's work, including his Stand With Black Lives Matter website, we'll have all of that linked on our resource page. Also, follow him on Twitter because he's hilarious and very smart. That was so amazing to be able to interview Brahanu, knowing that I've known him since middle school and to see this awesome young man that he's becoming. It's so amazing to watch him grow. And he teaches me something new every time I interact with him. I love having him in class or in a workshop because he's just so driven. Like, if you want something done, get Brahanu on board because, man, he just gets stuff done. Yes, <laughs> yes. Incredible. That's right. Well, one of the things we wanted to do with our post time here is uh, talk about Black Lives Matter. We haven't made an official statement through our podcast, and so we thought we'd start here. And we want to let you know that we definitely stand with Black Lives Matter, and we're definitely learning. And so we thought what we could do is share some resources that have been helping us on our journey. Yes, we not only believe that Black Lives Matter, but we believe that matter is the minimum and that there's so much more to learn and more to celebrate. And I do want to take a moment to make sure that I say that as two white women, this is not a space where we are leaders or spaces where we should, a space where we should be leaders. It's the time to listen to people of color, to listen to black women, to listen to black men, the people that have been doing the work and to pay them for their work. So we want to share resources to amplify voices and to make these resources easier to find. So do you want to start with a couple of resources that you've been using? Sure. There have been so many wonderful resources that it was hard for me to narrow down just a few to share. Imagine that. So challenging. <laughs> the first resource that I want to share, ironically, is by a white woman. But Debbie Irving's Waking Up White is a book that really changed my perspective and gave me the foundation that I needed in order to do the work correctly. I have to be honest and say that by the time I was pointed to this book, I already thought that I had started my anti-racist journey and that I was learning and teaching and being in anti-racist in my everyday life. But I also thought that racism was a very sad thing that happened to Black people very far away from me and that I had no role in it. And so reading Waking Up White, which tells the story of systemic racism from the point of view of an upper middle class white woman in the way that only an upper middle class white woman can do, helped me realize that it's not something that is separate from me. It's something that I may not understand, but it is the air I breathe and the water that's around me and the world that I live in. And so Debbie Irving's Waking Up White was the paradigm shift that I needed to start over and to do my work from the starting point in a way that was more meaningful because I had the vocabulary and the understanding that I needed. So I ended up rereading a lot of articles and books and re-listening to things because once I had had that perspective shift, it was like I could truly get started in earnest. All right. So this one I actually just stumbled upon on YouTube and it's called um, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. And it's Emmanuel Acho. He has started this series of conversations. He has an intro video, which is very excellent. And then his first conversation was with Matthew McConaughey. And it was just so interesting because there are a lot of questions and, um, you know, wonderings that I think, especially as white people that we have, 
-hmm. that maybe we're thinking, oh, we can't ask that, you know, that's, ooh, you know, makes you feel, ooh. <laughs> and so this is just a way of opening it up and they, you know, they get into some territories that you're like, ooh, but I think it's super important and a way to get a perspective that you might not have gotten before. Isn't it so interesting the things that we've been trained not to talk about? Oh, I know. Like I know. that icky that I learned, I was so lucky to get to go to the National Association of Independent Schools People of Color Conference last year. And I learned in a session there that, ooh, that ick, that goosebumpy, I don't belong here. It means you're onto something and it means you need to lean in more and shut up and listen. Yeah. And I, when I heard, I had never heard that before. I heard that and I was like, oh. That's, I want that. That's good. Yeah. Ooh. And what's so interesting is I, I've known that all my life. Like I know if I'm feeling uncomfortable, then that's the way I need to go. But yet I've avoided this whole area before. So I really need to put my, you know, instinct, that instinct needs to carry over in so many different ways. Oh, that's so interesting that, you know, just knowing isn't enough. Knowing mm -hmm. it's still hard to follow through. It's yeah, for ooh, sure. the training. Speaking of things that are uncomfortable, do you mind if I share my next yep, resource? My next resource is called The Great Unlearn, and it is a project by the brilliant Rachel Cargill. I found her through Instagram. And the reason I link this to being uncomfortable is because one of my favorite things that Rachel Cargill offers through The Great Unlearn is something she calls Saturday school. So every Saturday, she takes a comment that is generally well-meaning that she receives on her social media page. And she takes it apart for us. You remember the way English teachers used to diagram sentences mm -hmm, on the board mm -hmm. and they would like underline the verb and circle the noun. So Rachel Cargill does this through the great unlearn, but she points out all of the different stereotypes and tone policing and these terms that we need to know if we're going to participate in these conversations well. And she points them out in these comments. It just shows that your intent can be so different than your impact. And it's an incredible way to learn. She's just so generous with her knowledge. Hmm. And just because she's generous with her knowledge does not mean that we should be consuming it for free. We're also going to be linking her. Is it Patreon, Patreon, yeah, yep. mm -hmm. her Patreon page where you can pay for her work. And I highly suggest it. It is incredibly worth your time and your money. And people of color deserve to be paid for the work that they're doing. The Great Unlearn is a fantastic, fantastic resource. Rachel Cargill is so brilliant. So my final resource is a panel discussion. And I actually just watched it this morning. It's called Culturally Responsive Relevant Pedagogy and Instruction in the CS Classroom. And it is powerful. It's put on by Georgia Tech, and they had women of color talking about their various experiences, and it was just, it was so eye-opening. Again, putting towards things I knew, one of the quotes I took from it and I tweeted out is, your allyship sometimes has to make you go front and center and put your words and your body on the line for things that you know are right and just. And wow. I think I just needed that reminder of, yeah, this is going to be tough. This is not an easy go. And it is something that you know in your gut is right and just. And so you got to do it. And I can't tell you how often I hear from other teachers, well, of course, I don't want to be racist, but that has nothing to do with my work in computer science or English. Oh, or yeah. Yeah. Well, they, you know, they're, <laughs> they, they started with just the very act of being in a school, which oh my gosh. is built on, you know, white system is political. You cannot say you're a teacher and you're not political. 
If you are a teacher who's saying you're not political, this might be painful to hear, but you are behaving in a way that keeps the racist system going. It's that moving walkway. If you're on the walkway, it is moving you. Even if you're not moving yourself, you are moving in the direction of racism. It is not unless you are actively walking against it that you are being anti-racist. And so whenever I hear a teacher say, well, of course I'm working to be anti-racist, but that doesn't have anything to do with math. It's got to be a paradigm shift. It does. It has to do with everything. It's everywhere. I like that analogy. And now I'm trying to remember where I read it because a, another brilliant woman of color. All right, let me Google that for a second. Yes. So the moving walkway analogy is by Dr. Beverly Daniel Tatum. And I believe that I read about it in her book, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? I use that a lot. I'm like, okay, which way am I walking? Am I being passive? Am I being active? Am I walking the right direction? Yeah. That's a tool that's been really helpful for me over the years. So clearly we're pretty passionate about this and we're doing a lot of learning ourselves and we have so many more resources we could share but we're going to leave those for a resource page where you can peruse at your own leisure and if you have resources we are doing work but still have a long way to go so if you have anything that you want to share with us please we would love to see it and to share it out to the people that are listening there's always more to learn and there's always more to see so if you have anything great we would love to hear about it yeah. And can I put a general invite to anybody who would like to come on the podcast and talk about the intersection of technology, literacy, and social justice? We would love to have you on. Because there's so much intersectionality there, and I don't know that it's being talked about enough. And so I, we would love to learn from you. So please come talk to us about it. All right. Until next week. Tech, love, and happiness. <laughs>